Hey y'all, you're listening to Damsels in Detroit, the podcast all about women from the city that are killing it in their industries. I'm your host, Evan Webb. Each week, I invite a damsel to come on and talk with me about their life, careers, and why Detroit girls do it better. Hey y'all, we're back with another episode of Damsels in Detroit. This is episode 51, and I know I was on a little bit of a hiatus. (laughs) I apologize, but life just got the best of me. I'm sorry. You know it happens, but... Today, we are going to be talking all about mental health, how to pretty much combat burnout, which I feel like we're all experiencing right now. So, sitting here with Carrie, I'm hoping I'm saying your last name right, (laughs) Biscalonis. No? Uh Uh-oh, you're muted. (laughs) I said it right? Yeah, you nailed it. You did good. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So sitting here with Carrie, so as you guys know, going to read her bio, and then we will get into our questions. All righty. Carrie Biscalonis is the owner and founder of Reset Brain and Body, an integrative mental health care practice in Metro Detroit. After nearly a decade in corporate wellness and human resources leadership, Carrie transitioned to counseling after witnessing too many professionals struggling with intense burnout. Her personal yoga and meditation practice helped Carrie create a unique service offering integrated talk therapy with a physical experience. Since opening Reset in 2018, the practice has grown to 12 clinicians who all specialize in integrative mental health care. They're integrating tools like meditation, art therapy, yoga, music, mindfulness, and play to help clients develop tools to process and manage their mental wellness. Hello. Hey. How's it going? How is your, it's Tuesday, right? (laughs) I feel like it already feels like a long week. (laughs) Right, (laughs) which is insane. But um, thank you for joining me. I have, like I said, a bunch of questions for you. Um, This topic is seriously right on time. (laughs) Um, So my first question for you is, what inspired you to get into the wellness industry? Like, was there a clear defining moment that was kind of like your aha moment in a sense? You know, it's, yeah, actually, I remember when I was in one of my HR jobs, I was a total job hopper. And that probably should have been an indicator because I just kept trying to find, like, this is the thing that will make me really happy. Mm -hmm. Um, But someone told me once they said, what do you Google? Like when you're bored at work, what are you Googling? Okay. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm Googling wellness related things. Mm-hmm. And at that time, corporate wellness was like kind of brand new, bringing wellness into the workplace. And I was so passionate about it. I was like, okay, maybe I need to look into this more. And I recognized pretty early on that HR wasn't really about helping people right? Um, like I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to work more directly with helping people. And so pursuing my master's in counseling felt like the next step. Yeah. And this is no shade to anybody that works in HR because (laughs) I feel the same and I hate that I feel like that, but I can't think of any job that I have worked at where I'm just like, I'm going to go to HR and this is going to resolve everything. It never works out that way. <laughs> no, I remember being so embarrassed that I was in HR, and I really feel bad because there's so many lovely people that are in HR. But you know, Toby from the office, mm-hmm. like how he's just kind of blah. Right. I was always like, 
I'm an, I'm an HR, but I'm not like a Toby. I'm like a cool <laughs> HR person. <laughs> I had to have a caveat to it. <laughs> like you can trust me, I swear. <laughs> right. So as I mentioned in your bio, you spent over a decade in the corporate wellness and human resources realm. So what did that look like for you? Like, were you the one that was kind of planning, like, we're going to do an office yoga session today or, you know, we're going to do some icebreaker type things. But what did what did that look like? Yeah, yeah. So, again, when I first got into it, it was so new in integrating this wellness into HR and it becoming something that companies actually cared about. And it was really hard in the beginning because everything has to be from top down Mm -hmm. in order to affect culture. Right. Right. My employees are unhappy. You need to make them happy. I was like, no, no, (laughs) I can't make them happy. If you're having them work till eight o'clock at night or sending them emails at three in the morning or you're not prioritizing work-life balance, like that comes from you. Mm -hmm. There's nothing, no yoga class is going to fix that. Right. Um, and so I actually, I really struggled because I felt like I wasn't able to create the systemic change. And this is now, you know, going on 10 years ago that I really wanted to create in order to help people in these just chaotic workplaces mm-hmm. that didn't actually genuinely care about them. Right. I wish you would come talk to the people at my job. <laughs> <laughs> I think that you're right. Like, when we think of HR, we think that those are the people that have the magic wands that can fix it. Oh, if I tell you something, there's going to be a change tomorrow. But that's not how it goes. Like, I've never worked HR, so I don't really know how the conversations go between, like, if an employee has a concern or complaint and they tell HR what that conversation then looks like with leadership or whatever. But I know that at the end of the day, they're the ones that call the shots <laughs> so HR exactly so much yeah. yep yep exactly you feel like you're just trying to change something that is so deeply embedded in, in a culture that is ineffective mm-hmm. and it's layered upon layers and I don't know I, I felt I, I burned out I burned out in HR once I realized that I actually couldn't do much to actually make people's lives better other than acting like a therapist. Right. So the perfect conduit mm-hmm. <laughs> to be like, okay, well, why don't I do this differently? Right. Okay. So as someone that has and currently works in a corporate environment, um, like we just kind of briefly mentioned, it's very easy to feel like your mental health doesn't matter. You often hear the things like, we care about you. We don't want you to overwork. We don't want you to do X, Y, and Z. But then... <laughs> The work comes in, these expectations are there, you have deadlines, you have a huge workload. For me, I work for a startup, so that's just a whole different thing in itself. Mm -hmm. So what I want to ask is, how do you combat burnout? How do you combat anxiety? Like, what are some tips that you have to kind of I don't know, help with that, because I think we're all experiencing this right now, especially with working from home. But like, what do you do? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Okay, so first of all, I worked at a a few startups Mm -hmm. um, back when I was in HR. And at the beginning, you like the thrill of I wear so many hats and everything (laughs) is moving. 
And then you're like, oh my God, this is so exhausting. People mm-hmm. have no boundaries. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that, you know, we're talking about something that culturally is just an epidemic in that we glorify busy. Mm-hmm. We one up each other in how many hours we worked right. or in our job titles or what salary we're making. And there's such this comparison type of culture and it's not rooted in a collective. Mm-hmm. It's rooted in competition. And so change really has to come from the leaders modeling a different type of sentiment. And, and I find that the best leaders are the ones that are vulnerable mm-hmm. and transparent are like, I'm struggling too. This is too much. I'm burning out. And so that it gives other people permission to be honest with themselves, their bosses, to ask for help and say, hey, like something's got to give. I'm not doing well. And unfortunately, when you aren't in a position of leadership at your company, you do feel voiceless Mm -hmm. and you feel like you have nowhere to turn. And so sometimes we just have to start with our peers. You know, if there's a trusted colleague that you have or just one of your friends that's in a similar type of culture, Mm -hmm that you can just feel validated in your experience. And then I think we all have to sit ourselves down and say like, what am I doing this for? Like truly, like what are my goals here? Mm -hmm. And do I need to recognize that like, okay, I'm in my twenties or thirties. I just need to hustle. So I have goals and I just need to get there. Okay. I own that. I accept it. But if we're like, no, I hate every minute of this and this is not aligned with my future. Then we have to be courageous to make a change for ourselves, even though it's terrifying and risky. Mm-hmm. Because I think what happens is that we complain and we complain and we complain and we know things aren't well, but we don't do anything to change it. And so, and so instead of accepting the fact of no, this is what I've chosen, this is what this is what I want, we resist, and that resist creates that suffering of like, oh, this is horrible. I'm so unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. And so some of it's a mindset when you can't actually tangibly change the working environment that you're in. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I felt like I used to be the person where I was like, I love working. Like, oh my gosh, I love having a job, mm. blah, blah, This past year, I mean, because there was so much at one time. <laughs> it's just like, we have this pandemic yeah. and we have like, you have immediate family members getting sick and all of this stuff. And I was yeah. just like, this is, this is a lot. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. just looking at like how some companies, <clears throat> excuse me, didn't stop anything. And then there were some mm-hmm. people you turn around and it's like, well, our whole company shut down. And it's like, this is all. <laughs> like, this is not normal, but we're trying to work through it and act like it is. So Oh my gosh, I know. There's been so many, I think, helpful memes online that talk about, like, if you aren't at full capacity right now, if you're feeling tired and confused and unfocused, like, we've all been living through trauma this Mm -hmm. last year. Like, on a global scale, trauma, and then layer that upon all the other stuff that's been coming up this whole year. Like, holy cow, how can we even tie our shoes? Like, seriously, we have to dramatically reset our expectations that we have for ourselves. And that, again, comes with leadership, not expecting people to be on top of their game right now. Like, we just can't. As a human collective, we cannot right now. And we shouldn't be putting pressure on ourselves or other people to be. Mm -hmm. Okay, next question. Um, 
What has been your personal journey when it comes to therapy? So how do you manage your stress and take care, um, or how did you manage your stress and take care of your mental health before starting um, your company? Yeah, (laughs) I laugh because it's like, when I started the company, I felt like I was in such a great headspace. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I only have one, I only had one kid and I didn't have 15 employees. <laughs> now it's like, oh, wait, I have to like restart all of my stress management tools again mm-hmm. as life has gotten busier. But I, I digress a bit. Um, my personal journey to therapy was through a recommendation of my sister mm-hmm. who was seeing a therapist herself. And I think that a lot of people feel comfortable going to therapy when someone they love, they trust, they know is also gone to therapy because it feels a little bit less stigmatizing. It's like, oh, okay, she's doing, I should do it mm-hmm. too. Or that feels like something I feel comfortable doing. So that was my path. And then I quickly went to the same therapist as my sister and then realized like not a good fit because <laughs> she wanted me to talk about my mom and I like wasn't there yet. I was okay. like, no, that's not what I want to talk about. So I was like, okay, no. Yeah. Um, so I had a lot of different therapists. I've had a lot of different therapists mm-hmm. too because I think it's important that you can change your therapist as your life changes. Mm -hmm. And as you dig into different issues, you might need a different therapist to help you tackle that stuff. And so for me, I end up now I'm working with more of a intuitive eating therapist because I realized so much of my stuff is rooted in body image and disordered eating and diet culture. And I wouldn't have gotten there unless I kind of went through other stuff with other therapists. I've had a postpartum therapist. I've had a trauma therapist, like different types. Um, but therapy has been a perfect place for me to be able to process what's in my head, right? To be able to just get it out loud. I'm not a good journaler. I don't love, like I write, um, but I like doing it. I don't know. It's just, I I don't like journaling. (laughs) Um, and then yoga has always been important to me just because it feels like the only time in my life that things are quiet. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's interesting because if I go to yoga just like one night or one day a week, it doesn't really do much. Okay. I need to kind of train my brain and my body back into getting into that quiet zone. Mm-hmm. Same with meditation or same with breathing. Like a once a week thing isn't really recalibrating my brain in the way that I can expect a little bit more clarity. Um, but it's a gift that I look forward to because otherwise I have anxiety. So my brain just never shuts off and we all need spaces where our brains can stop. Mm-hmm. And that isn't through numbing out, right? Through drinking or scrolling or eating or shopping or things that may not be the most healthy mm-hmm. coping mechanism. Shopping isn't healthy. Who knew? That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> had no idea. <laughs> Lately, for me, I'm shopping during COVID though because yes. it's like <laughs> it feels really good. It felt great. I'm like, but where are you even going? Like, you don't need clothes. Why are you buying clothes? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think lately for me, my thing has definitely been like I'm just gonna scroll, and until I can't scroll anymore. And I had like a breaking point like two weeks ago, and it was like three mm. o'clock in the morning, and I was like, Why are you on Twitter? Like, there's there's nothing here for you. So I set timers now at night to where I can only access certain things um, after a certain yeah. time. So that's been a process. It's been a journey. I don't always adhere to those limits, but I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember when I was like 
new, well, no, I, it wasn't even that long ago. I used to sleep with my phone underneath my pillow. Mm-hmm. And like, how toxic, really? Like, that's pretty toxic <laughs> to do. And now one of my best things I do for myself is I, I plug my phone in downstairs in my kitchen mm-hmm. before I go upstairs to bed. And I bring my Kindle upstairs with me to bed. We, I have a TV in my bedroom. So, like, I can still entertain myself with other things. But my phone is not allowed. Mm-hmm. And so, some nights I go upstairs at, like, 730 because I'm ready to go. And so, that's a lot of time to be not in front of my phone, which feels just really rejuvenating. Mm-hmm. I commend you for that. One day. <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I have stopped plugging it up so close to my bed, though. Because it was All the right. same. Yeah, it was the same thing. I was waking up and like first thing I was doing was like looking at stuff that I really worry. Mm. Like, why is it the first thing you're consuming in the morning? But I think at least I feel like people my age, we don't notice it or don't want to claim it, but we definitely have screen addictions. <laughs> we kinda are yeah. the, the pioneers of like that whole digital like social media and cell phone age. So <laughs> yeah. It gets yep. tough. Yeah. Okay, so what can, or can you explain what integrative mental health care is for those that maybe are not familiar with it? Yeah, so when I first got into this field, part of the way that I was coping with working full-time in grad school full-time was that I was doing a lot of yoga. And to me, what I was experiencing in yoga was so similar to what I was learning in psychology classes, just about our brain and how we process thoughts and emotions mm-hmm. and I was like whoa whoa like why aren't why aren't we doing this together like mm-hmm. <laughs> we're all speaking the same language here um and so when I first started out into my uh, counseling career that was just how I did it I, I someone would come in and tell me what was going on in their life and then I would sit there and say okay cool here's a meditation and yoga sequence that will address what's going on emotionally and even some physical ailments that seem to be related to your emotions mm-hmm. and so it was it's, it's really playful, it's creative, it's um, dynamic, and it's also not every single time, mm-hmm. right? Because then someone might say, whoa, yoga meditation, not my thing, but I, I want to journal or I want to write or sorry, I want to draw, I want to paint, mm-hmm. um, maybe playing with role playing or doing something with fidget toys feel supportive, maybe music, writing lyrics, sharing songs, Mm -hmm. but being able to create an environment where it's not just about verbal processing, but where we really create a physical experience of release and awareness Mm -hmm. that we have to tune into the body in order to heal mentally because our body (laughs) is so important to the Mm -hmm. entire process and our body has so many signs of what's going on that often cognitively we ignore right. because we just don't have time for it or, you know, just want to avoid it or it's too traumatic. So we just stuff it all down. But the body eventually will tell you exactly what you need to know. Mm-hmm. We just have to listen to it. And so integrative means we're giving you the tools to listen to what's buried. Okay. Now, do all of the um, therapists at your practice do they all specialize in different things? So say if somebody wanted to incorporate art therapy into their sessions, is there one particular person that they would go to for that? Or is everybody pretty much like an expert or, you know, open to doing different things? Yeah, that's a great question. 
Um, we have some people that are very much specialized in a particular integration like yoga or art. And then we have people that can kind of do it all. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm, as it, as we grow the practice, what we're trying to find is just people really solid in whatever integration they have. And then as they grow as a clinician, it's like, well, something like art, like I could never do art therapy because I'm the furthest from artistic. Um, (laughs) So I'm not even going to try. Right. But like we can jam out in yoga and someone else would be like, no, that's too terrifying to me. I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. So I try to allow people space for their own creative genius. Okay. Next question is what does, and I guess it's not typical, there's not one typical session because I'm assuming they're all different, but if you have a new client coming in, what can they expect to get from you guys? Yeah, so all of our clinicians and what is I'm really passionate about is that we all start from a space of awareness mm-hmm. and teaching people the tools of awareness because without awareness, you really have nothing uh, about how you can, you know, how you're responding and reacting to life events, how your emotions are impacting yourself, those around you. And so we teach a simple model of, all right, let's dig into your thought processes, the stories you tell yourself, the beliefs you have about yourself, your typical reactions. And so that as you go out into the world in between sessions, you can start to name, label, observe oh, wow, this is how I behave. And these are some of my patterns. And ooh, are some of some like not healthy coping mechanisms mm-hmm. so that you can take that data, come back to us. We can kind of process it together and say, okay, now what do we do about this? Wow, actually there's some like really strong limiting beliefs that we need to unburden. There is some trauma that we probably need to process through, but we aren't going to get there unless we still, unless we start with awareness. Um, so there's some accountability on the client to, mm-hmm. to do the work as well. But then we help guide you through being able to work through it so that you have a little bit more freedom to be yourself as you navigate life going forward instead of operating out of these like reactive parts Mm -hmm. of yourself. Now, do you think that everyone needs a therapist? Hmm. You know, I I think needs is the operative word here. Okay. I think the world would be a better place if everyone just did the work. Okay. Right? If if everyone figured out a way to be a better human mm-hmm. and check their reactions and have more empathy and not be so judgmental mm-hmm. of themselves and other people, everyone probably would get along a lot better. So whether that's through a therapist or a mentor or someone in someone's church or someone that is a authentic mm-hmm. <laughs> non-biased person to help you guide guide you through that process then then that I think is enough yeah. um, because I also recognize and I know that you're you have a question about accessibility to therapy because right now the the way that our health system is set up is that, getting therapy once a week, every other week is not financially supportive. Right. Insurance barely covers it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of clinicians don't take insurance because, and this is something that I think is important for people to know because there's a lot of um, sometimes some hate towards therapists of like, why don't you take my insurance? Or why don't you take any insurance? And the reason is because insurance providers get to dictate 
what they pay their therapist, what they pay people that do counseling. Mm -hmm. And you can have an insurance company that pays so vastly different from another insurance company for the exact same service. And what's unfortunate about that is that the ones that the insurance companies that pay the best are typically offered by, you know, big fortune 500 companies. Mm -hmm. And then the insurances that pay the worst are those that are, um, your more low budget insurance policies. And so there's such an access issue systemically Mm -hmm. that it creates this huge barrier to getting therapy. And so that's why I say, you know, maybe everyone needs someone like a therapist, but until the system corrects itself, not everyone can get it. And it's a really big issue. And we also don't have enough therapists in the world. So there's too much demand. Therapists are burned out because they're not getting paid enough because insurance, like it's Mm -hmm. just, it needs to be fixed. And I think COVID is finally giving the mental health field the attention that it needs in that it's a broken system, very broken system. Yeah. Now, do you, because we're going to come back to this topic, but do you ever (laughs) get overwhelmed as a therapist? Like, do you ever, sometimes at the end of the day, you're just like, because that's a whole thing, right? You're like receiving people's energy and like taking on all of their stuff. So at the end of the day, are you ever just like, wow, <laughs> today was a day? And how do you handle it? Yeah. What do you do? <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm really good at compartmentalizing. Okay. And this is something that I try and teach everyone on my team is that we all get into this field because we want to help people mm-hmm. and we're all bleeding hearts. And most of us are highly sensitive people. Mm-hmm. And I... I compartmentalize because there's certain cases that it's like, I can't take this home. I can't think about it one more minute because it's too overwhelming Mm -hmm. and it's really sad. Now I also limit my intake of sad information out there in the world, right? I limit my intake of the news. I don't watch like drama or violence movies. I don't eat animals because I, I'm just too compassionate and Mm -hmm. I can't think about like hurting other people's humans. No animal babies mm-hmm. like I just like I do these other things that like, kind of protect my own energy um but compartmentalizing is important even though I know that sometimes it has a bad rap but it really is important um and protecting your own energy and I think something that's really important is that a lot of therapists or people in the helping field like want to be needed or like to be needed and I think that's a really slippery slope because then you end up relaxing your boundaries mm-hmm. you end up accommodating people and being taken advantage of. And if you are have a strong, solid core of like, no, no, I don't need to be needed. That's not why I'm in this job. Mm-hmm. Um, that is really helpful for being able to kind of manage that energy flow and, right. and stay grounded yeah. in who you are. Because I think sometimes people are like, oh, my therapist can just, and it's like, no, like therapists are people too. <laughs> yeah, You don't know yeah. what they have going on outside of their office, their jobs, like all of that stuff. So I think, I don't know, just keeping that in mind too. <laughs> but also not wanting to yeah. like hold back in your sessions, I guess, because you feel like you don't want to, right? Because I, I mean, it's like a tricky situation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's so funny because I'll have clients that they'll jump on to their session. And they're like, well, how are you? And I'm like, it's not about me. Thank you right. for asking thank you for being concerned but like it's not about me Mm -hmm. I'm I'm 
I'm not going to tell you anyways, right? Because I don't want you to feel like you're taking care of me because right. <laughs> that's not your job. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, a, a therapist also needs to just make sure that they have their own therapist. stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Have their own therapist is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, also you, you know that your therapist is a human, but at the same time, it's not your responsibility to protect them. Right. You have to be able to be open and honest and like, I know for me as a therapist, when I'm not playful anymore in mm-hmm. therapy, when I'm not able to be creative, then I get burned out. And okay. so for me, it's like, how can I diversify what I'm doing in my work so that I can constantly stay present in my work? And I think that everyone, regardless of what work you're in, when you lose that ability to be playful and creative, like that is such a clear pathway to burnout. And so we have to take ownership of, okay, how can I insert more of that flow mm-hmm. into it. Now, I want to ask a question about different titles. So we have like therapists, we have counselors, life coaches, mm-hmm. psychologists, psychiatrists. Are there, I know one can prescribe medicine, psychiatrists, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but the others, are there any major differences between those or is it just the preference of what people want to be called? Yeah, it's, it's the preference. I mean, Psychotherapy is the practice of mental health therapy, right? Of counseling as psychotherapy. And so you can have a psychotherapist who is a licensed professional counselor. You can have a psychotherapist who is a licensed psychologist or a licensed social worker or a licensed marriage and family therapist. Those are all psychotherapists trained in psychotherapy, right? Which is uh, doing counseling, doing therapy related to psychology, mental Mm -hmm. well-being. Life coach is not trained in psychology. Now they might be a little bit, right? But it's not like an accredited master's program Mm -hmm. in a psychology related field. Okay. That's just like a good friend. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that gives <Yeah>. good advice. <laughs> right, right. They're really good at setting goals. Okay, that's kind of the li- that's kind of the life coaching um, mentality. As like, let's just keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. And psychotherapists are like, cool, yeah, like let's have goals, but like we you can't ignore your relationship you had with your mom that like may or may not have been helpful. Right. Okay. Thank you. Because I never knew. I'm like. People keep throwing out different terms. I don't know, like, which is which or which is <laughs> No, I think that's such a good question because I think, yeah, it makes it confusing when you're starting in the path of, like, I think I want a therapist, but mm-hmm. who are these people? Right. <laughs> what do you do? Okay. Next question. Yeah. So back to the cost of therapy. I want to know if you all, and I looked on the website, so I already know, but um, could you talk about some of the free and kind of financial friendly, that's the term I'm going to use, resources that you guys offer for people? Yeah. So the first thing we do is we offer sliding scale. And so we determine this based on someone's W-2 income and then put them into a bucket that reduces our Mm-hmm. to something that's more appropriate for their you know, financial situation. And then we also offer free virtual groups. And to me, that was always a passion project to get the practice to a place where we could support it. So we have a free meditation every Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. We have a free postpartum support group every Tuesday at lunchtime. And we have a free self-care during COVID 
group um, every Tuesday night. And we hope to continue to expand upon that. I would love to do more in-person stuff, but right mm-hmm. now it's just, you know, pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> so can anyone join those sessions or do they already have to be like involved with Reset or how does it work? Like if somebody wanted to sign up, what do they do? Anyone. We've had people from all over the country join those groups. Okay. Um, so while we can only do psychotherapy in Michigan because that's where our licenses um limit us Mm -hmm. we can offer these support groups really all over the world okay wonderful and people can just go online and sign up for those yeah good question yeah you go on you register you get a one-time zoom link that is just going to be reoccurring and open access for you every time nice okay how has your business changed since the pandemic and also have do you feel like you personally have changed during the pandemic Ah, yeah. Well, so I have an interesting pandemic story because okay. I was nine. I was nine months pregnant when oh COVID, when the shutdown happened, and so I was like that first crop of women that went and delivered with a mask on in a lockdown hospital. And luckily, it was my second kid, so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I've kind of been to this before. But were you alone? Could you have anyone? No. Oh my gosh! Thankfully, my husband was able to be there. Okay. Um. But it was touch and go, right? Because at, at that point, you didn't know if you wanted to be tested positive or mm-hmm. if you'd been exposed. It was, yeah, it was hard. But I was blessed with a very quick labor. Okay. So <laughs> it, was, it was pretty big. Um, but so I changed in the fact that I had a you know, second kid. Mm-hmm. And that just changes your life in general. And my husband has been working from home indefinitely, which... Mm-hmm is good good and bad it depends on the day (laughs) um but I've noticed for like for my kids it's so much better for them because they get to see a parent all day some parent guy because I'm usually at the office Mm -hmm. where he's at home and I just find that to be pretty incredible and something that we wouldn't have experienced prior to COVID um but our practice you know when I went out on maternity leave right before so it was before COVID I gave everyone the option I said okay you can stay with me and we can do some virtual sessions here and there or just wait till I come back from maternity leave. Mm-hmm. And I was planning on taking like six months off for okay. maternity leave. And then COVID hit and everyone was like, oh, well, actually, I'm really into virtual now. I guess that's just all we have to do. So okay. primarily our field was like 98% only in person. Mm-hmm. And now I would say 65 to 70% of our clients are virtual. Okay. And so that's a dramatic yeah. shift in how people are getting therapy. And to me, I found that like my own therapist is in Grand Rapids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, being in Detroit and being able to just do it from my phone has been so great. Yeah. And so I think in a lot of ways, while therapy remains financially sometimes out of reach, the accessibility we have with virtual has been really good for the field mm-hmm. and really good for people just getting that access to help if they want it. Um, so, yeah, that, our practice has also grown. I mean, we've never seen demand like this for mental health care ever. I mean, before it was yeah. like, you were like pull, pulling teeth to have people right. come get there. Yeah. I and just, now it's... Oh, sorry. You were like, you broke up a little and I didn't know. I was like, oh. did she finish? Did she not finish? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I was going to ask, um, like how many clients you had before we went on lockdown and then afterwards, 
how, like how many you're at right now? Yeah. Okay. So that's a really good question. So before we went on lockdown, I think we were averaging like we were like, cause we reset's only been around for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were probably seeing like 60 clients a week between okay. four of us therapists. Mm-hmm. So, you know, about 15 clients each, uh, for each of us. And now we have 200 wow. clients a week. Wow. Now we, we have more therapists right. <laughs> to accommodate that, but I mean, that's a pretty sizable increase mm-hmm. in just a year. It is. That's amazing though. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it feels good to be helping that many people, mm-hmm. right? And having that many people um being vulnerable yeah. and getting to know their stories. <laughs> now, would you say you have more women clients than males, or kind of? Yeah. Okay. No, I mean historically, men men don't come to therapy as often as women. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of adolescents. We work okay. with a lot of teenagers, uh, which gosh, I think about all the time. If I was 13 and had a therapist, my life probably would have looked different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but we're, it's something we're actually really working on is creating more spaces where men feel comfortable okay. seeking help. And I think, you know, our practice in particular, we really try to speak in, simple language mm-hmm. that's not too feminine, not too woo-woo, not too feelings, right? We talk about the science mm-hmm. and we talk about um, just basic, like, this is what's happening in your body. This is right. what's happening in your brain, which I think, again, allows for more accessibility of, oh, okay, like, sometimes rooted in the science feels more approachable. Mm-hmm. We'll get them in there. We'll try. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to get my husband. I'm like, okay. be a spokesman. Come on, please. <laughs> yes, Maybe he can someday. be a, a therapy influencer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, couple more questions for you. Um, what are some of your favorite ways? I know you mentioned yoga, um, but how do you practice mindfulness? Like, how do you um, practice gratitude? And I know right now it's like, or at least I think things are getting little better right now even though Michigan's Mm -hmm. cases are surging again but I'm trying to be like people are getting vaccinated that's a positive yeah (laughs) but last year I feel like it was just sometimes it was hard some days to focus on things that were going well or things that you were grateful for so during that time last year when we were locked down you have a new baby you have (laughs) all these things going on (laughs) how did you practice mindfulness um, getting outside mm-hmm. because I, I truly think that connecting to nature is so grounding mm-hmm. um, because there's just not as many distractions and you're, it's, it's just as a perfect environment to be present. But, you know, to me, you know, the, the actual mindfulness definition by John Kabat-Zinn, who kind of is the grandfather of mindfulness is awareness of the present moment without judgment. Okay. And, that without judgment is the most important piece in my own practice because I can observe. And as soon as I attach a story to it, a judgment to it, well, then I'm no longer present. I'm no longer appreciating it for what it is. I no longer have gratitude for, for whatever it is. And so catching judgment is my mindfulness practice of, you know, I can say to myself or observe, 
a beautiful day. And then my judgment might be, oh, I should have gotten outside. I'm so mad that I wasn't outside more, like Mm -hmm. "Ah, working too much. This totally sucks. Well, okay. That just totally robbed me (laughs) of a very pleasant observation. And Mm -hmm. so I think everyone can try to integrate that more, like catch your judgments, catch those stories versus just allowing yourself to be in the observation. Mm -hmm. That's a good tip because... Somebody tweeted something the other day about, like, they experience this guilt where if it is nice outside and they don't go outside, they feel really bad about it. And I'm like, oh, my God, I thought it was just me. Because especially this these past couple weeks, because it's been like, what, 70, 80 degrees outside. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just get too wrapped up in work. You get too wrapped up in other stuff. And by the time you're done, you're like, I don't really feel like doing anything (laughs) outside of laying on the couch or like cooking dinner um so I think that's a good good tip I'll try that from now on like oh it's nice out (laughs) the end period yeah (laughs) yeah yeah exactly to not like wrap yourself up in guilt or shame Mm -hmm. is important yeah so what would you say to someone that is struggling with their mental health right now yeah okay so if someone's struggling with their mental health Mm -hmm. The, the first thing that I say to them is to own the experience, to sit in the awareness of, okay, I am not okay. I am not okay. And then to be able to verbalize that, verbalize it to themselves and to someone else, because that in itself creates such a relief, that permission to not be okay. Mm-hmm. And then it's, what am I going to do about it? Do I need to go talk to someone professionally? Do I need to ask for help from a loved one or a mentor or someone in my community? Do I need to change something? Do I just need to get up and get outside or take a shower or take a nap or turn off my phone? But first owning, like, I am not okay. And that's okay. It's okay to feel it, right? Mm-hmm. You have to feel it in order to then do something about it. Yeah. Good advice. Two more questions for you. Three more, sorry. What are some <laughs> things that you're looking forward to this year? So we are in Q2 of 2021 already. Um, what are some things that you're really excited to get done this year? Yeah, um, well, first, my my baby turns one on Saturday, yeah. so I'm super <laughs> And also emotional. I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... I'm excited for a vaccinated summer. Yes. My husband and I are both vaccinated, right? And, like, just to be able to hang out with people and do things and not have to worry so much about it. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see family again. I'm excited to be on the beach and go away for the weekend. Yeah. Travel. I'm going to Napa next month, oh. and it's my first <laughs> in okay. forever. Yeah. And I'm thrilled I have my sister's wedding in November. Like, mm-hmm. I love travel. And so to be able to do things like that again feels really good. And if we're talking professionally, again, then um, <laughs> I just want to, like, let's just, like, not have another global crisis. Oh right? Like, <laughs> I can't take it. <laughs> I just to have, like, things even out and, and just coast for a little bit yeah. without chaos. Yes. I do not like chaos. So, yeah, last year, I'm just like, when they told us we were working from home, I was like, oh, okay, like a week, whatever, maybe two. And then 
month after month after month. <laughs> like, what is going on? And you walk outside and it literally looked like the Twilight Zone or like something out of a horror film. I'm like, I don't, this is not sitting well with me. So I agree with all of that. I got my first vaccination shot. I get my second one next week. Wait. Yes, I'm, I'm also ready for a vaccinated summer. I just, I miss my friends and I miss brunch. <laughs> I miss all of that. Yeah. <laughs> but also yeah. I do, I definitely want the peace of mind. Like I just want to be able to be around my family and not worry like, okay, like where did I go? Or maybe somebody did breathe on me in Target and I just didn't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I just remember when. I don't know if you still do this. I don't do it anymore. But remember in the beginning when we used to like, I was like washing my groceries mm-hmm. and I created a line of tape in my kitchen to like not let dirty groceries cross. Right. Like, I don't want that. And ever again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like spraying everything down with Lysol. Like, yeah. uh, I don't know. I mean, I am happy that there are some places that got their sanitization together because when I think about things that we were doing before COVID, blowing on birthday cakes, what? <laughs> you know, just like movie theaters are so gross. Why? Yeah. Why were those chairs never cleaned? But now, I don't, yeah. Yeah. So I'm happy to see that, but I'm just ready to have a little bit of normalcy again. Yeah, to let go of all that decision fatigue, mm-hmm. right? To feel not every decision has to carry a life or death consequence. Right. That's been really heavy mm-hmm. this last year. It is. So what does it mean for you to be a damsel in Detroit? Yeah, so I I think as a woman, it is empowering yourself just not to settle. Mm-hmm. And having enough awareness of making decisions out of a place of authenticity and truth and not fear and self-doubt and shame and insecurity so that you are making decisions that are putting you in a position of just not settling, not giving up on yourself. And yeah. Going after what you want. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And lastly, where can people stay connected with you if people want to make an appointment? Um, where do they go? But how can we stay yeah. up to date with you? So you can find us on Instagram at Reset Brain and Body. Our website was just redone, and it's just resetbrainandbody.com. Uh, I personally am on Instagram. It's just Carrie-Bispolonis, but I barely do anything on Instagram, so I'm not really exciting to follow. Um, but if you want glimpses of me, that's basically what you'll find. <laughs> we love baby So our main Instagram is the best place. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Carrie. This was seriously, like, right on time. I have been just so burnt out from work. <laughs> so this was a good conversation to have. And I know I'm not alone, but sometimes it feels like it you know but yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. you're certainly not alone I know (laughs) 
But thank you so much. And thank you to everyone listening. As always, I want you to remember that Detroit girls do it better. And we'll be back next week. Bye. (laughs) Bye, Carrie.